On the virtual Bible study tonight, we're going to talk about withdrawing ourselves. A church in the area, uh, Middle Tennessee, uh, was in a lot of hot water over uh, some church discipline that was uh, uh, administered not too long ago. We'll talk about that, and we'll look at what the Scriptures teach on that important subject. We're going to get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, March 18th, 2021. Uh, Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is out of town tonight in Indiana preaching. In his spot, uh, Monty Overton's here. Hello, Monty. Welcome to the program. Oh, Jacob's good to be here. Good to be with you. Uh, uh, Josh McCord's back as well. Uh, Josh, thank you for coming to help. Oh, wait a minute. Now you're Nope. Yeah, now you're here. Nope. Now you're here. Thanks for having me. Nope. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're All right. And Kyle's behind the controls. Kyle, welcome. Good to be here. Glad that you're here. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you on the other end of the line tonight at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use, and sign in to the chat window to the bottom of your video feed and share your comments with other listeners there. See Kevin down in Tampa, Florida tonight. Thank you for joining us, Kevin. Good to hear from you tonight. We want to hear from other listeners as well on the program as we take up this important topic uh, for our discussion tonight. Um, Monty, I think you may have uh, seen the article that was referenced here uh, from the church in Sparta, Tennessee, that administered some church discipline. And um, an atheistic website picked that up and said that this church got exposed for being an awful place. They wrote a letter to a member who had stopped attending services and had taken up living uh, with a man with whom she was not married. And they wrote her a letter. And the letter stated this. For the last several weeks, we've noted that you have stopped attending the assembly of the church After attempts to discuss this situation with you, we fear that you are no longer convinced in the need to assemble with the church for which Christ died. We are very saddened by your decision. This failure to assemble is not the only problem that you must address. We have been informed and understand that your living living arrangement that is not biblical must be terminated immediately. This action alone reflects that you have not avoided all appearance of evil as the scriptures direct us in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 22. Please understand our obligation as shepherds first. We must watch for your soul, Hebrews 13, verse 17. And second, protect the congregation by withdrawing from every brother or sister that walks disorderly, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. If these issues are not corrected in public repentance made by Sunday, February 21st, we will withdraw fellowship, signed, the elders. Sounds like a a fairly uh, um, concerned letter there. I didn't see, I think it was gentle and and loving, uh, but they got a lot of grief for that. Well... I guess one of the first things that comes to my mind on this is it seems that this has become a really controversial thing, and I don't really understand why, because any organization that we might be a part of has certain requirements that are have, have to be met and maintained in order to continue to be a part of that organization, any human organization. And so for God in his organization of the church to have a similar type process set up, that he has certain requirements that have to be met and maintained, and if they're not, then there are certain things that have to be done. is isn't any different than any other organization, so I don't see why people are all up in there over it. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> they certainly are. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, in fact, they got such such heat that the church had to take down their website, uh, turn off their um, their phone, apparently. Uh, they did uh, post a, uh, a reply, and they said, We're deeply saddened that something that was supposed to be a private matter has become subject to public confusion. Um and we would like to take a moment to address it. First, we understand that nobody is perfect and sin is a problem for us all. When we fail to acknowledge those sins, a bigger problem arises. 
This is where the recently circulated letter comes into play. As we address this matter, unfortunately, it will be an impossibility for every, anyone to know the entire context of this situation. When you love someone, sometimes that means doing the right thing, no matter how harsh or extremely difficult it may seem. For example, if you have a loved one that is headed down a path uh, dangerous to their own health, you would do anything to help them, even if it meant cutting them off financially, personally, emotionally, etc. cetera. Uh, so um, they, uh, they went on and said, um, you know, this is what you got to do in order to try and help someone. You know, and we typically refer to that as tough love sometimes. Yep. You know, when somebody's doing something that's bad for them and we have to, as that mentioned, cu- cut off some association with them, that's tough love. It's not fun, but it, we have to do it. We understand from a human standpoint, so why would it be any different from a spiritual standpoint? Why can't we understand that? All right. Earlier uh, today... Uh, this is a topic that we sent out last week as well. We had some Internet difficulty last week. There was a lot of conspiracy theory uh, floating around last week. It was not a conspiracy theory, or not conspiracy. Uh, it was an area-wide Internet outage. You're referring to the text I sent? Well, no, no, no not, not just yours. Lots of folks wonder, what happened? What happened? So, no, it was uh, just, a, just a technical glitch. But we're back, right, Kyle? Well... It was an area wide. Yeah, it was. It, no, we're we're, we're good. good. We're okay. good. We're good. I'm Kyle glad. had a funny look on his face last week about this time, and I had to. We had, that was the end of it. We were done. So we <laughs> asked the question: Is church disciplinary, disciplinary action a sign of lack of love, proof that the Church of Christ is a cult, or arguably the worst thing you can do? Is what this article had said, or one one of the commenters had said. Concerning the action of disciplining an unfaithful member of the church, number two, we ask, from whom must we withdraw ourselves? And number, and then what is to be done and how is it to be done? Number three, why is this action necessary? If someone just quits or actually says, I don't want to be a member there anymore, can we or should we withdraw ourselves from such a one? In other words, can we withdraw from the withdrawn? And number five, is it, is this terminology scriptural? Withdraw fellowship or shun? We'll take up those questions uh, on the program tonight as we hope to get your comments to those questions. And so, number one, Josh, is church discipline a sign of lack of love? No, it is not. I mean, I think that, unfortunately, uh, the letter and the response that was given with the verses attached, I don't think people that got up in arms about it actually read the verses uh, because it's a biblical thing that they did. I don't know all about that church, but this action is a biblical thing. And I, I can't think of a more loving thing to do than to try to get somebody to get their life right with God. Uh, and I wrote down Second Timothy 2, verses 24 to 26. It says, A servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Uh, and so uh, Christians are supposed to try to get people out of the snare of the devil. So I think it's a it's the most loving thing you can do um, it, when it's required, when it's necessary. All right. Now, that, that verse mentioned the method to which we do it, uh, Monty, and certainly there would be a way to do it that would be the worst thing you could possibly do. Uh, but uh, that, that there has to be... Do just the process of doing this isn't the worst thing that you could do or the 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 most heart hurtful thing you could do. There are ways to do it that are correct. There are ways to do it incorrect, as Josh's passage there mm-hmm. mentioned. If I you know sometimes if I come I come in with guns blazing, I'm ready to just mow somebody over with the scriptures because I got something up on them. Uh, that's not right. That's that's demonstrating our bad attitude then. Okay. All right. So, um, but uh, certainly it is not a lack of love. In fact, it would be a lack of love if we didn't do what the Scriptures taught. Well, it would be a lack of love for God in, in our unwillingness to obey what he's told us to do. It would be a lack of love for the person that's needing this disciplinary action to try to get them to correct their behavior. We don't love them enough to do what's best for them. So yeah. it's a lack of love all the way around. Mm-hmm. Here's what Brian in California said. Brian's chimed in tonight. He says, when I first started dating my wife-to-be who was living... A hundred miles away, it wasn't more than the second or third time I had attended worship there that an elder took her aside and questioned as to whether I was an eligible mate. He was shepherding the flock and concerned foremost for her soul. I've always appreciated his diligence for the flock. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's something that that, that probably raised some eyebrows if you did something like that today. But this uh, gentleman was just making sure that uh, he encouraged uh, this this, uh, young lady to do the right thing. You know, what people need to understand is when we have to approach somebody that we think is doing something wrong or living in a wrong way that's not acceptable to God, it's not easy to go up and approach people with that. It's really uh, it's not something we're used to having to do. 
And so it's out of our comfort zone. So it's it's not an easy or a fun thing to do, but it's a necessary thing. I mean, it's just like if our children were praying in the street, we would go out there. Hopefully that's not their normal course of action either, And we'd, but we're going to do what it takes to get them out of that danger. And so we have to do that for other people too. All right, absolutely. Uh, here's what our listeners had to say about that. Uh, Kent uh, answers to all three of those questions. Is it a lack of love? Is it the proof that the Church of Christ is a cult and arguably the worst thing you can do? He says the answer to all three questions is no. Following New Testament teaching is not a demonstration of a lack of love and concern for those who are in, a sin, in sin and rejection of following God's plan for his people, Second Thessalonians 3, 16, or 6 through 15. The Church of Christ is not a cult. Universally, such is the saved relationship that constitutes all those who have obeyed the gospel of Christ. Locally, such as scripturally functioning unit of the Lord's people engaged in the work God has authorized his people to accomplish in a collective capacity. He says, no, it's not the lack, a lack of love. Grant, up in Franklin, he's in the chat room tonight. Grant, appreciate your comment. He said, um, is it a lack of love? No, actually, we're demonstrating our agape love, always looking out for the best interest of others. The purpose is to save the guilty party, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5. I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan. For the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And it, number two is in order to cause the one to be ashamed, so the one will repent to be saved. Second Thessalonians three fourteen and fifteen. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him, so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And so, no, it's not a lack of love. And uh, Dwight in Iowa, Dwight is in the chat room as well. He says, no, it should be the op- just the opposite. We should love someone enough to let them know that their spiritual well-being is in jeopardy. We are to love the brethren, First John 4, verse 7. If we see a brother in sin and choose not to say anything to them, then we aren't. Then are we saying we don't care or love them? We love our children, yet we discipline them. We love our children. Do we love our children enough to discipline them? So Dwight says, no, it's not. And uh, Mohan is up in Illinois. He says, church discipline is commanded, 1 Corinthians 5 and Matthew 18. It is out of love that it is practiced to get the erring person to repent. So there you go. Now, Monty, there's uh, this argument here that's, uh, that's also been presented is that, uh, that this makes a certain or an organization a cult. What, what would you think about that? Well, I'm not, in, in my mind, not comprehending how... Uh, Trying to treat somebody in a, such a way as to promote them to their best in their best interest is how that identifies with being a, a cult member. I, I don't. I'm not sure. What, I guess I don't know what the definition of cult is. Well, that's one that's of those part things. Of it. That's one of those things. It's a it's it's a vague, uh, loose definition uh, that is often just passed around to try and uh, sort of sling mud, maybe, Josh. Yeah, I think that's right. I think sort of like a communist, right? You know, well, you know, organization yeah, I disagree yeah, with. Yeah. Oh, they're a cult. They're a bunch of weirdos yeah, in a yeah, cult. But yeah. you know, a cult will decide for you and tell you what to believe. The Christian doesn't do that. We we point to the Bible and say, this is what the Bible says, and, and we let it yeah. guide us. Yeah. But it's a, it's, a, it's a way to, you know, maybe I disagree with you. I'll just I'll let, put some kind of label on you, mm-hmm. then we'll have some kind of negative connotation, like you're a communist or you're some kind of wacko. Yeah. And, well, then I guess I can discredit everything you do or say. You're one of those right-wingers. Right. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, um uh, I don't know, Josh uh, or Kyle, any thoughts on that? It's Yeah, I mean, we could delve down a deep, deep rabbit hole about uh, our modern world, and if you do not agree with certain things, then oh, you're, just, yeah, you're just completely sealed off. You're just yeah, you're a cult member. You're one of those guys. Yeah. But usually the ones telling you that are usually one of those that you may think like, I think it's back in the reverse there. But, but so, again, yeah. if the scriptures say to do something and we do it, as you mentioned, Josh, why does that make you a cult? Mm. Um, and it, it's not. This is not something that someone just made up, or you know, trying to flick their their membership. This is what the scriptures taught. We need to get a break, and when we get back, we'll continue the discussion. Next up, we want to talk about uh, discipline. What is the purpose? Uh, why, how, what is to be done? How is it to be done? And from whom is it to be done? Uh, those are some questions we're going to take up after the break. Hope you'll stay with us. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study is back right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Here's a quick thought from the Psalms. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Psalm 41 and 2. The creator of all that exists is inclined to you. 
God is the only one who can draw you out of the pit of destruction. He does it through Jesus. If your feet are slipping, look to the rock. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. When the load feels heavy, it's a sign that you're climbing. One minute of keeping your mouth shut is worth an hour's explanation. The scriptures teach us the best way of living, the noblest way of suffering, and the most comfortable way of dying. God doesn't ask you to be the best, just to do your best. Man, wish I'd said that. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight uh, talking about withdrawing ourselves. And, Monty, it's not a popular topic in the world. It's not a popular topic in the church. No, it's not a popular topic. We would prefer that all of us could behave in the way that is acceptable and pleasing to God and that we could all get along together and do what we're supposed to do. And this would never have to come up. We would never have to withdraw from someone. That would be our preference, that we could all be pleasing to God and go to heaven. But it's not going to happen that way. We, we know that occasionally people are going to choose to behave in a way that's not proper, and then we're going to have to deal with it, and there's consequences for them and us both, and we just have to accept that and do our best to follow God's plan. All right. Um, but it, it is a topic that can't be overlooked. No, we can't overlook it. That's what the Scriptures teach. Well, the Bible refers to teaching the whole counsel of God. I believe Paul used that phrase that he had preached the whole counsel mm -hmm. of God to them. And since this is part of the plan that we see in the New Testament, we have to we have to teach about it and we have to practice that when it's necessary. Yes. Uh, and um, many, though, it seems, have sort of shunned away from this idea or shirked away from it because it is an unpopular topic. All right. So we ask the question, uh, from whom? Must we withdraw ourselves? Josh, you want to kick that off? Sure. Second um, Thessalonians 3 and verse 6 says that uh, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. Uh, so that kind of paints a, you know, that's a big uh, general term, the person that walks disorderly. I mean, there's a lot of specifics within that, but anybody that's walking out of line should be withdrawn from Drop down to verse 14 to see some definition sure. of to what that means. Yeah, it says, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Uh, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Yeah. So this guy who's walking disorderly, is not, he's not doing what the Scriptures taught. The Scriptures are, uh, tell you to do something. For instance, this woman told her to avoid adultery. She's not doing that. That's what the Scriptures teach. That's what Paul said to do. Yeah, that's exactly what the Scriptures teach. I mean, what people have to understand is we didn't write the Bible. Um, I, I'm not very brilliant, and so I didn't even translate it from the original language into the English that we read it in. But I can do a reasonably competent job of reading the English and more or less understand it. And so I need to do what I can read and understand to do, and this is one of the things it talks about. All right. Uh, Monty, Josh, I mean, which one? Uh, who's got the next uh, thing that we ought to, people we ought to withdraw from? I'll go. Uh, go, go. 2 uh, John 9 uh, yeah. through verse 11 uh, just talks about those who don't abide in the doctrine of Christ. Okay. Yeah, so, so it's the same thing. I mean, if you don't abide in the doctrine of Christ. Um, and then... First Timothy 1, 19 and 20 talks about uh, those who made shipwreck of their faith. So all those are kind of the kind of the same things. A person that doesn't remain faithful, and there's okay. a lot of different things they could do to not okay. remain faithful. All right. And I think as these different passages that Josh has referred to, we're talking about people that are Christians, or supposed to be Christians. They've, they've, they're baptized believers. They've obeyed the plan of salvation and identified themselves at one point at least that they wanted to be members of God's church and, and follow his plan, disciples of Christ. And so these people that have made that commitment and then have failed to keep that commitment. So that's the people we're talking about, people that asked to be a part of this organization, not people that we went out and drug in off the street and drafted. Okay. Uh, Matthew 18 talks about some uh, folks who need to be uh, withdrawn from discipline. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, talks about someone who's sinned against a brother and won't repent, uh, who, who's, who's guilty of sin. And is unwilling to repent. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. More of thy brother shall trespass against thee. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then that, take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him to be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Josh, there's someone who needs to be 
noted. Yeah, if I if I stole your car and you come to me and say you shouldn't be doing that, and I said well, I don't care, then I can't. We can't just go on like everything's fine. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was thinking about First Corinthians, uh, First Corinthians five verse eleven. It, it's got a pretty long list. It says, "But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or idolater, or railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one, know not to eat." Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, all of all of those things would qualify somebody that's walking disorderly, somebody that's not um, following after the teachings of the Bible. So we'd have to withdraw from them. Can we can we look at that verse again? Because it says, "Don't sure. keep company with someone who's called a brother who's a fornicator." Now, this uh, this article that was railing on this church in Sparta, Tennessee, uh, said they that they got exposed for being an awful place because they told this woman who's living uh, in a relationship that would amount to fornication that she shouldn't do that, and if you don't stop doing that. Uh, we're not going to keep company with you. Is that a direct quote from 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11? And this is a terrible place to be? Yeah, it's just passing along what God said. Well, you know, if God says it, we've got to do it. Yeah. Uh, I know sometimes when someone has to be withdrawn from, there's people that say, well, I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. As we mentioned up here in point one about a lack of love, I've, I've heard people say, well, I love them too much to withdraw myself from them. Well, actually... We don't love them enough if we're not willing to withdraw from it. If we're not willing to do what God says, what we're showing is a lack of love then. And so uh, to say that about this particular case, that this person's living in fornication, apparently they had identified that through whatever process, and that was not something I don't think that was disputed uh, in the letter. I didn't hear anything that suggested that she was in a right living relationship. And so the Bible clearly says if a person's in that relationship, you can't associate with them anymore. And so that's what they're trying to tell her. We're trying to do what God said, and God said it, and we're going to do it. All right. Um, yeah. And then here, how about one who, how about a, uh, a false teacher? Can we continue to associate with a false teacher? No. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ into the doctrine which is according to godliness... From such, withdraw yourselves. A false teacher. We can't go on with, hey, he's telling people to live in sin. He's giving people instructions that will cost them their soul. I would just let that go. No. Paul says to withdraw yourselves. You know, and Paul also said that if that you were to follow his commands, and if someone didn't follow his teachings, that they were to be withdrawn from. So if that person's a false teacher, we have to withdraw ourselves from them. I mean, it's, it's not our preference. We wish they would teach the truth. Yeah. And then we could all get along just fine. But if they're not going to, we can't associate with that. All right. And then finally, uh, those who are divisive, uh, the scriptures are clear about those. Those people need to be withdrawn from as well. Romans chapter 16, verse 17. And now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Divisive people need to be need to be marked and uh, w- uh, withdrawn from. You know, another we don't use the word divisive, I don't guess, a whole lot in our society today but we understand the term troublemaker and that would mean the same thing if somebody's going around all the time stirring up trouble amongst us we don't need that and the scriptures is clear that that's something we don't need and so we're to avoid that all right the horwath family uh says matthew 18 is a great passage to demonstrate the process we can't skip these steps all of them are necessary when done correctly the process god has outlined is not only a sign of love but it is also a form of evangelism interesting uh, observation there Form of evangelism, Josh. Well, I was just thinking that I think all the backlash over this letter, uh, I mean, it's as if there was no communication prior. They just sent this letter. Uh, but but to me, it sounded like they had much conversation, much discussion, yep. trying to get this individual to get their life right, and they refused to do so. So then the action was taken. You know, And I, and I think people, when they hear this topic, they say, oh, you're just, you just want to cut people off. But that's not the case. Yeah. I mean, that's a last-ditch effort to try to save them. Quickly, here's what our listeners said on this uh, question. We must withdraw ourselves, uh, Kent said, from brethren who practice sin by walking disorderly, Second Thessalonians 3, verse 6, such as accomplished both, both collectively and individually by no longer having an association with the one with whom we have withdrawn until they repent and are restored to the fellowship of Christ, First Corinthians 5, verses 3 through 13. Thank you, Kent. Um, and uh, Grant says... Um, Personal sins that go uncorrected, Matthew 18, as we referenced, verses 15 through 17. 
show us that the, those are the kind of people we should draw from. Christians involved in immorality and unrighteousness. He references that passage in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13. Those walking disorderly or living an unruly life, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15. Factious men, we didn't have this verse, Titus chapter 3, verse 10. Reject a factious, factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and sinning, being self-condemned. And then he references Romans 16, 17, and 18. Uh, now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the uns- unsuspecting. So Grant says you, you, you those folks who are walking disorderly lives need to be disciplined. Dwight references 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6, um, someone walking disorderly. And uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, we are, I'm sorry, go, that's, uh, that's the next question. We'll get that in just a minute after our break. All right, let's get a break. Uh, Brian in California, I've heard the argument that a wayward brother who is no longer attending in fellowship uh, has taken the ostracizing action, that is, the church is absolved of any responsibility. Doesn't the scripture teach we must still identify the astray? You can't unring a bell. You're a Christian, faithful, or a Christian fallen away. The church must act in the best interest of any identified within the body. That's a question we're going to get to uh, here in just a, a little bit. Can you withdraw from someone who has quit and says, I'm done? Can you still mark that person? Can you still withdraw from that person? We'll get that on uh, as we go along in the discussion uh, as well. We're going to get this week's bullet point. We're going to get your thoughts uh, after it. So don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Our bullet point this week comes from the pen of Dennis Allen. Religious confusion and its assorted contradictory doctrines prove that the devil and his servants are effective deceivers. Since God is not the author of confusion, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, the many false doctrines taught in various denominations today do not come from God. It's no surprise that the same evil one who has been perverting and denying the words of God since the Garden of Eden is still sowing seeds of deception. He even finds pastors ready to serve as accomplices in preying on weak little lambs. But why would anyone allow himself to be deceived? Paul offers an explanation of the motives for believing lies in 2 Thessalonians 2, beginning verse 9. The people deceived by Satan's craftiness, quote, did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved, unquote. It is not sufficient to know the truth. We must love the truth. There are many people who study the Bible for curiosity or vanity or for academic reasons, but who do not approach the scriptures with the humility necessary to allow the Lord to change them and mold their character. They don't love the truth and are thus easy prey for the devil. Paul mentions one other factor. They had, quote, pleasure in unrighteousness, unquote. When a person wants to find an excuse to justify sin in his life, he will not study the Bible with the honest and open heart necessary to understand it. You can often hear this attitude in the comments of those who want to defend their sinful practices. They'll say things like, where in the Bible does it say that I cannot, and so forth. The proper attitude one should have is not to defend evil, but to ask, what does the Lord want me to do? People who are determined to justify their sins will not understand the truth. Their minds are carnal and incapable of discerning the spiritual richnesses of God's word. Why would anyone believe a lie? Because the truth often demands painful transformations that most people are unwilling to make. The way of the Lord is difficult and lonely, but it leads to eternal life. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. Back on the program tonight, and we talk about withdrawing from those who are living in sin. And it's caused a lot of heat for one church not too far from here. But it's what the Scriptures teach, and we're looking at what the Scriptures teach on that subject. We want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or on YouTube at... Hey, College View Livestream. College yeah. View Livestream. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And uh, send an email anytime. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use. Maybe you hear something on the program you disagree with or you have questions about, or maybe you just want to suggest a topic for a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use. All right. Money. So the question is, what is to be done, and how is it to be done? 
Well, the Bible clearly teaches us when someone is living in sin and won't repent, it says we're to mark that person, and that's not like talking about putting a big stamp on their forehead or something like that. It's talking about oh. identifying that person. Okay. Uh, so we're supposed to identify that person, and then to it talks about withdrawing ourselves from them. So it's got the idea of it, that we're not going to have a close association with them anymore. Uh, it, someone that may have been a very good friend to us that we enjoyed recreational activities or maybe a family member that we enjoyed family get-togethers with. Uh, when we've had to identify the sin that they're committing that they won't repent of and identifying them as being guilty of it, and then we're going to cease that association. That means that I'm not going to invite them over for Christmas dinner anymore. Or I'm not going fishing with them or golfing or whatever our, our association ha- has been, and we're going to make it clear to them that this is the reason that we can't do this anymore because your actions are inappropriate and I'm not going to be associated with that kind of thing. And the Bible has commanded that. And so I think it's that's important that we we know what we're doing and we're making it clear. It's not just that we've kind of drifted apart, but it's we've got a clear plan here that we're following and, and everybody involved understands it. Here's how the scriptures put that. You you know that marking. First, Second Thessalonians three verse fourteen. If anyone does not obey our word by this epistle, note that man have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Romans sixteen verse seventeen. And I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. So there has to be something there. Uh, that's there's some formality to that, Josh. Yeah, I was going to bring up First uh, Corinthians five and verse four. Uh, it talks about a person that's. Uh, has his father's wife it says when you're gathered together uh, with the power of lord jesus christ to deliver such a one to satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the lord jesus so it so it's when you're gathered together so it's a congregational thing we're we're withdrawing ourselves from this person and we're delivering them to satan as paul said here so that they can be saved you know hopefully we do this to them uh, and then they will realize their condition and and come back all right, so there, so there's that formality, I think, uh, and and that's sort of what we get in the the letter that was this church in Sparta had sent was sort of formalizing that, uh, money. Yeah, it's like they they're definitely identifying this person uh, as someone whose behavior was no longer appropriate, that they wouldn't repent, mm-hmm. uh, and now we're formally identifying this. And here's the time frame. I mean, they've given a structured time frame that this has to be taken care of. And if it's not, then we're going to have to go to the next step. So, I mean, it's it was definitely it wasn't just something random or willy nilly. They they had they was following a format and and executing a plan. Right. Okay. So there's a formal marking, and it says to withdraw yourselves from Second Thessalonians three verse six uses the term withdraw yourselves, and First Timothy six verses three through five says the same thing: withdraw thyself. Uh, so it's yourselves and it's thyself. So that's a that's a as you mentioned, avoiding company with someone. First Romans chapter uh, six verse seventeen says to avoid them. Mm-hmm. And so um, there, there, this this whole purpose is that things don't go on as as usual as normal. And uh, I think something important to notice here is the two terms. You, it talks about withdraw yourself individually. And you also use another passage, use the term yourselves, plural. So it's something the church is going to be engaged in. We as a collective are going to have to do. And also individually we have a responsibility of that. And so it's not something we can say, well, the, the elders led us and told us we've got to do this, but I'm not going to. No, I have an individual responsibility. Or those people at the church might be going to do that, but I'm not going to participate. No, I have an individual responsibility as well as to participate in this collectively with this, with the local congregation. Well, what about the other side of that, Josh? What if uh, what if the church doesn't practice what they're supposed to? Am I on, uh, you know, as an individual, am I off the hook? Well, the church never withdrew from him. I know that he's not living like a Christian should live, but the church never marked him, and so things. So it's okay for me to just continue. No, I mean I'm responsible for myself, you know, and uh, you know the the church isn't going to be judged as well. This church did right. It, it's going to be us as individuals, and so I have to answer for my actions. So if I know something to be right, I've got to do it, regardless if others are going to do it or not. All right. Well, it may I think possibly be that this person that I'm having to consider and withdrawing myself from isn't a member for I'm a, of the congregation that I'm a member of. But there's still someone I'm in association with. There's still one, someone who has named themselves as a Christian and, and identified themselves as that at one point. And so even though they aren't a member of the congregation I'm at, I still have a responsibility toward them. And I may have to withdraw myself individually where the, 
the congregation I'm at has no responsibility necessarily in that particular type of matter, but I still have one. Okay. All right. Um, so, yeah, lots of angles there we could we could talk about, but uh, certainly we have a, a collective uh, re- responsibility and an individual responsibility as well. Uh, that avoiding uh, goes to so far as to not keep company with and avoid uh, social interactions with. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11, now I've written to you, not to keep company if a man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one, no not to eat. And so that uh, there has to be some um, some cutting off there of, of some social uh, engagements. You know, I, I know a case several years ago where there was someone uh, who had been withdrawn from, and I don't think as far as the congregation itself, they particularly minded that so bad, but there were family members that were going to participate in this action, and it was coming up on a holiday season, and they knew that they weren't going to get to participate with the family and the family get-togethers, and that withdrawing that association from them was what accomplished this person repenting and coming back. And I think that's what the Scriptures is talking about here. It's where we're going to draw, withdraw ourselves. You can't, I can't associate with them anymore, and hopefully that will mean enough to them that they'll understand the seriousness of it, and that will help motivate them to repent and come back to God. Yep. And I know that worked in that particular situation. Some people say, well, it never works. Well, I know of cases that it did. So it, it's going to accomplish God's purpose one way or the other. If we have faith in it. If we have faith in it and properly do it. Yep. All right. Uh, let's go on. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, and Dwight brings out a good point here. He says, in, uh, in Galatians 6, verse 1, we are spiritual are to go to them and help restore them. If a brother sins against you, go to him. If it doesn't work, take two or three more as a witness. If that won't work, you are to take it to the church. When one goes to another and sin, it must be done with the right heart and spirit, remembering yourself, lest you be tempted. Uh, and certainly good admonition there. And And, and this is not... Oh, ja, you know, Josh stepped over the line. We're we're marking him. That's not the uh, that's not the scriptural pattern here. Well, the, the scriptural pattern, as he mentioned here in this passage, was that we're to go to him ourselves. Hopefully, yep. if 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 Josh has stepped over the line and done something that, that has sinned against me, hopefully I can go to him and say, Hey, here's what happened. Here's the scripture that teaches that what you did was wrong. And you need to correct that. And hopefully he's got a repentant and a contrite heart. And he's going to say, oh, I messed up. I'm sorry. And that's settled between me and him. Nobody else has to know about it. That's, the, I think, the goal here that it's talking about. Yeah. And then it talks about if that doesn't work to take witnesses with you. Well, okay, me talking to him didn't work for whatever reason. So I take a couple of people with me. And then with the three of us can can do this and that way maybe he'll understand the seriousness of it it's not just my opinion but it is what the scriptures teaches and that'll fix it and so but it also says if that don't work take the church so we try to keep it private as much as possible i think it's what the bible's teaching us all right but eventually that doesn't work sometimes and it does have to become a public matter and so apparently that's what happened in this church that we're discussing tonight matthew 18 verse 6 grant says i'm sorry matthew 18 verses 15 through 17 outlines the steps to be taken uh this is what grant says is how to do it and what is to be done uh so good comments from our listeners tonight uh number three let's get started on this why is this action necessary josh well it's necessary in order to save a soul i mean because if nothing's done then the person's going to be lost. And so it's like a person drowning, and uh, we're watching them drown, and we don't throw them uh, a life-saving vessel. We don't we don't even try to do anything, but instead we're trying to save them uh, because if not, we know what's going to happen. They're going to be lost. Yeah, uh, so it is an uh, attempt to save the brother. First Thessalonians 3, verses 14 through 15 uh, talks about you know to not keep company with that man so that he may be ashamed. The idea is to, to cause him to think about his, his spiritual condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Monty, as you mentioned, that uh, the case you knew of, it worked. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, we, do, we should be ashamed of, of sin. Uh, the Bible describes sin as things that is abhorrent to God, that is disgusting to God. Uh, and so if something's disgusting to us, we don't want to be associated with it. And so if we're if that's the type of activity we're engaged in, someone points that out to us, they can help us get away from that thing that God would refer to as abomination so that we can be right with him. So we should be ashamed that we've done wrong. Yep. We shouldn't be arrogant and proud of it. Hey, look at me. I kind of think that's the impression I get from the passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul talked about there was a brother there that they should have 
were drawn from, but instead they were sort of glorying. Oh, look at, look at old brother so-and-so where he's, he's living with his father's wife. Well, they, he should have been ashamed of that. He shouldn't have been proud of it. Well, and Paul said in verse, verse Corinthians 5, verse 5, to deliver such one to Satan for mm-hmm. the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved. And so, again, they were trying to maybe motivate wake him, him to up, repentance. Wake him up. Um, yeah, and that's what uh, that's what Ken said. The intended purpose for what for that of withdrawal is designed to bring a faithful Christian back to a condition of faithfulness to Christ. If such is impossible because of the stubbornness of those who have been withdrawn, then such is an act of prevention, keeping sin from spreading in the local church. He references First Corinthians five verses seven through thirteen. There's another point that we need to talk about. So it's for the one who's sinning, but it's also to protect the body. Josh. Yeah, and Romans sixteen verses seventeen and eighteen. Uh, it says, I beseech you, brethren, mark them as cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve our, serve not our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly, and by good works and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So if we don't do this, then there's some that are going to be potentially carried away as well. So it's a teaching tool. Uh, when discipline's done and people can see it done, then it makes you know, it makes us consider our own situation. Hey, I better... I better be on guard and continue doing things that are right, or I may be in that situation one day. Sin's like a cancer. A little leaven leavens a whole lump, Monty. That's what I was fixing to reference here. I believe that's Galatians 5, verse 9. It says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. If we allow that sinful person to remain in, in good standing in the congregation, then what he's doing is going to rub off on other people. Uh, they're gonna, there's going to be people that looks at his life or that person's life and says, look what they're doing, and uh, nobody's rebuked them for it. Nobody, It must be okay. And there's there's people that are babes in in Christ that don't really have a firm spiritual foundation yet, and that's going to be the way they're going to look. They're going to look at other people that's supposed to be Christians and been Christians a while, and they're going to pattern their life after them. And if they see that this sinful situation is allowed to remain, then they're going to fall and follow in that same footprints. It's just like the Bible talks about the elder that continues in sin. Uh, he's to be rebuked that the rest may hear in fear. And so... It's that same kind of idea that sinful activities have to be corrected in well, order for it not to spread, as you mentioned, like a cancer. Well, here's what Grant says. He says, to keep this church pure, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 5 through 13, to prevent the increase of sin in the church. You ever seen sin increase in the church? Yeah. It, it, it does. It's just what God said it would do. It would spread like mm-hmm. cancer, like, like leaven. It does. Well, he does it. It must be okay. I mean, he's a member in good standing and... He engages in this immorality. I don't see anything wrong with it. I mean, there was a congregation that we attended years ago, and there were things going on there that I felt was wrong, and our children wanted to participate in them. And I said, no, we can't do that. That's wrong. Well, so-and-so does it, and his daddy's a deacon. Well, that thing had been accepted, that type of activity had been accepted in that church, and it was trying to spread to our, our family too. And so we wound up having to leave that place. But nevertheless, the point is, sin's got to be addressed, and it's got to be we got to get rid of it. We've got to get away from it or it's going to infect us. It's going to slowly but surely. I mean, churches that fall away and become unfaithful congregations don't walk in one day and say, well, guys, we're going to be un- starting today. We're going to be unfaithful. No, it kind of gradually, yes. just like a cancer, it starts, as I understand it, with just one or two cells and it grows and grows and grows until it kills the body. Yep. And it's the same thing. Well, here's another thing Grant adds. He says, to serve as a warning to other members of the church. Acts 5, verses 1 through 11, the example of Ananias and Sapphira. Verse 11, first, the great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. And in 1 Timothy 5, verse 20, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so the rest of them will be fearful of sinning. Mm-hmm. So it does serve as a warning a warning flag to the the rest of the church hey listen so and so fell to the devil's tricks you be on guard and we need to we make make a note of that um and then grant adds to lead others to christ now this is an interesting one philippians 2 verse 15 so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of god above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world um so uh yeah, he references uh, the example of Ananias and Sapphira when they were disciplined, not the same kind of discipline that we administer today, obviously, but great fear uh, came over the whole church and over all who heard of those things. And, and at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico, but none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem, and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. So when they the church 
acted and, and administered discipline like they were supposed to, Grant says it caused the church to grow. You know, I've known of people that have a desire to associate themselves with others that are living a pure life and faithful to God. Uh, if we as a church are practicing all the things that the Bible tells us to do and by the Bible pattern, there are going to be people that want, that's going to come to want, when they hear of that, as we're talking about this, this process taking place, when they hear of that, they're going to say, that's the kind of people I want to hang out with. That's the kind of people I want to worship with because they're trying to do what God says. Cause there's people, maybe even people of the world that aren't Christians yet, but they're looking for something. And when they hear of a place, or a people that's trying to do exactly what the Bible says, the way the Bible says do it, that that appeals to them because they want to be right with God and understand that process works. Brian says uh, the church is threatened, too, when church, when sin is tolerated. Ananias and Sapphira received a righteous judgment, but the others sure got the message. I'm pretty sure I would have, he says. Uh, so it, it worked to protect the church. And then Dwight in Iowa says, for the saving of their soul and to keep the church pure. Galatians 5, verse 9, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. The Lord shed his blood to purchase the church, and he wants it to be having no spot or wrinkle, blameless and holy, Ephesians 5, verse 27. And it's our responsibility to see to that that happens. All right. Uh, let's get uh, to the break, and real quick, last break. And then what about the idea, of the, the question that Brian posed in the chat room? What about someone who quits coming or says, I don't want to be a member here anymore? Can we or should we withdraw ourselves from such a one? And then uh, what about some terminology, withdrawing fellowship or shunning? Is that scriptural per, uh, terminology? The Horwath family in the chat room says, I like what Monty just said. It is important for us to have a meaningful relationship with brethren of the local congregation in order for the consequences of church discipline to be impactful. All right, let's go to the break, and we're back right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Warning, this is to make you aware of a disorder plaguing American and the metro area, BDD, Bible Deficit Disorder. Many people are not getting enough Bible in their daily lives. Are you? Answer the following questions to see if you might be suffering from BDD. Do you answer spiritual questions by saying, I think, instead of the Bible says? Do you depend on religious authors and pastors to tell you what to believe? When Benny Hinn says, this is your day for a miracle, do you believe him? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you might be suffering from BDD, Bible Deficit Disorder. The College View Church of Christ is dedicated to fighting BDD by teaching the Bible. We focus on Christ by following his word. Don't succumb to BDD, Bible Deficit Disorder. Fight it by joining us for Bible study on Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. As long as there is breath in your body, it is not too late to fight Bible Deficit Disorder. We'll see you this Sunday at the College View Church of Christ. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. The state of Tennessee has one of the most religious populations in the United States, with 51% saying they attend church services at least once a week and 70% saying they pray every day. That information is via Pew Research. The Word of God says in Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things will be added unto you. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back on the virtual Bible study tonight, going to the top of the hour, talking about withdrawing ourselves. And now the question, can you withdraw from someone who says, well, I just don't want to be a member here anymore? You know, the, the lady who wants to live with her boyfriend. Yeah, I just don't want to be. I'm done. I don't want to be a member anymore. Do I have any response? Does the church have a responsibility to that person? Well, the Bible talks about the person that... Uh, well, the thought just left me. It's got to do with the person that's not that's not continuing in was forsaking the assembly. That's what I was looking for, forsaking the assembly. Uh, so the Bible is clear that that kind there there are going to be people that just decide I'm not coming anymore for whatever reason. Uh, I think there's a distinction there between coming to church and our association that we have with each other. If we're the people that we ought to be, and like I was talking about earlier that we're, we're constantly doing things together outside of the building here. Because when we talk about withdrawing, I think the idea when it's talking about how can we withdraw from someone that's already withdrawn, there's a distinction between what takes place in this building and the rest of our life the rest of the week. Uh, if we're in the habit of associating ourselves like we should the rest of the week too in recreational or whatever kind of things, as we mentioned, not it mentioned, one of the passages said not even to eat together. If we've got a regular schedule, maybe we go out to eat as a family from time to time. Uh, 
if I withdraw myself from that going out to eat with you anymore, I've made a difference. You know, you understand there's a difference there. Maybe you hadn't come to church in forever, but that don't mean I could continue to associate with you otherwise. So I think that's the problem a lot of people have there because they're looking at this withdrawal process as being something that just takes place in the church building. We're, we're not talking about that necessarily. We're talking about ourselves completely, our whole interactions together, not just our worship. Well, Grant says, I don't see how you can withdraw from someone who has already withdrawn from you. In reality, we are no longer participating with them. We are no longer in association with them. But what about a family member who withdraws oneself and is no longer faithful to the Lord? In such a case, should we not withdraw our fellowship in that case? Well, I think we should, uh, Grant, in that case. But let's get to this point about, well, they're they're not participating with you. How can you withdraw from them? Josh, a lot of those passages we looked at today today don't have any uh, bearing on what that person's doing or that, their their attitude. There's a lot. There's some marking. There's some noting, uh, so that the the church can be aware. Uh, comment on that, Josh? Well, I just think it's letting them know where we stand on the situation. You know, so if a person says, "I quit. I'm never coming back." Well, we're we're going to reach out to them. We're going to invite them to try to come back. We're going to try to work with them. At the end of the day, if they refuse to ever come back, we're going to let them know, hey, we can't we can't continue on. You know, I can't communicate with you about just sports and weather and those those kind of things. I'd still be glad to talk to you about getting right with God, but we're going to let them know where we stand and what we want them to do. Yeah, uh, and uh, and so um, and it's also for the sake of the church whether whether or not uh, it, we we may never see him again. But the church needs to be aware that he's not living like he should, and it's for, for their benefit. Well, and so the church can try to have a positive influence on them as well. So if yep. they ever run into them at there the grocery are. store, they can say, hey, we, we've missed seeing you at the services. It sure would be good if you'd come back. Here's what Kent said. Yes, brethren need to be informed regarding the decision of the following unfaithful Christian, and association needs to be broken with that individual until they repent and are restored to the fellowship of Christ. God does not leave a... God does not leave a New Testament church at the mercy of those who bring reproach upon the Lord's people and then seek to use their leaving as an escape valve, keeping the local church from fulfilling its responsibility to both Christ and to those who have fallen into sin. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. So, yeah, so he says, no, uh, you still need to, there still are some obligations there. Dwight says, yes, if one stops coming, we still have responsibility to obey the word of God and withdraw from that erring person. It needs to be known in the church that that person is in sin and has not, and has been withdrawn from because we have guidelines to follow concerning withdrawal from a person. So uh, Dwight would say yes. Mohan in, in Chicago says, that is an interesting question. If they don't want to be a member anymore because of some doctrinal issues and they go to another church that has the same plan of salvation, maybe not. For example, if someone is baptized properly and becomes part of the Christian church and later finds out more truth in the bible they may tell the christian church they no longer want to be a member there and they start going to a more sound church of christ and becomes a part of it that is since i don't think the christian church can discipline them and then he asked the question well what if they went the other way they went to a church that was less doctrinally accurate what would you so they're they're still they're still trying to live a life that's pleasing to the god but they're they went to a church that's less doctrinally accurate what would you do about that money well i would believe at that point they've become unfaithful because if they if we understand what the doctrine is but and maybe the church i've been attending is practicing that pure and undefiled religion before god but i want something different and i'm going to another congregation that's not doctrinally accurate i have no longer maintained a proper relationship with god i've fallen into being in the associating myself with false teachers then and so i think a congregation would be obligated to to mark that person to study with them and try to get them to repent and come back and at least go to a faithful congregation i mean they don't have to go here they need to go to a faithful congregation somewhere yeah and and some of that is sort of minimizing sin we're like well they're off on this thing but it's not that big a deal well what if they were sacrificing babies in their worship would you say oh well now we would mark mark them for that you see, we, the problem is we sw- sort of want to grade mm-hmm. sin and uh, and lack of conformity to what the Scriptures teach. Well, that's not that big a deal, but this would be a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, if we're not living and doing what God said to do, it's a big deal regardless of what mm-hmm. we might think about, big or little. It's a big deal. You know, whatever the, the unfaithfulness is, whether it's something we would consider as big or little, is still an unfaithfulness to God, right. and it has to be addressed. Right. Okay. Uh, well, my dad's in the chat room. He, he's done with his preaching tonight. Preacher stopped before midnight. Well, he let up, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> 
Part of the problem is uh, a problem of terminology. The New Testament does not say withdraw fellowship. It says withdraw yourself. So regardless of the action, we can't withdraw our social association with them. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. All right, number five. Well, and he's led us into that uh, last question. Is the terminology withdraw fellowship faith uh, uh, a scriptural term? And what about the term shun? Well, let's look at what our listeners have to say. I'll let you guys off the hook. I'll put you on the spot a lot tonight. Unless you got an answer ready, Josh. Uh, go ahead with the listeners. Grant says, fellowship is from the Greek word koinia. It carries the idea of association, community, joint participation, intercourse. So if we are instructed to not associate with or not even to eat with such a one, I believe to withdraw fellowship is actually what we're doing. And so he says uh, that he believes it's the, the, the idea is, is, is scriptural. Kent says the phrase withdraw oneself is far more explicit way to uh, address the scriptural action under consideration. However, by the phrases withdrawal, fellowship, or shunning, one is making reference to the withdrawal of oneself. I would not make an issue with such terminology just as long as this New Testament concept is practiced according to the scriptures. And Dwight and Dwight and Mohan uh, didn't respond to that one. Uh, let's see. So here's what here's what uh, Grant said. Um, Grant said the idea of shunning. He says shun is translated in the following Bible versions: Second uh, Timothy two verse sixteen, but shun profane babblings, for they proceed further in ungodliness. Titus three verse nine, but shun foolish questionings and genealogies and strifes and fightings about the law. Second Timothy. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, the New American Standard translates the word avoid uh, as opposed to shun. So uh, the idea there of shunning again. The Greek word is, well, I won't pronounce that, but which carries the meaning to stand around, turn around, to avoid. I believe you. it would be appropriate to use the word shun or avoid. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11, it states, but actually I wrote to you not to associate with anyone who's called a brother. If he's an immoral person or covetous or idolater or reviler or drunkard or swindler, even not to eat with such a one. So uh, Grant says maybe that, that idea that is, is carried in some of those ideas. That we, there is some, somewhat of that avoiding, um, so, uh, but maybe uh, maybe not necessarily the, the term that's used uh, in these verses we've looked at. Yeah, the Amish shun, but they, they cut them off like they're not even alive anymore. And so That's we're, not we're, a scriptural idea. Yeah, we're supposed to admonish them as a brother. Mm-hmm. So, okay. yeah, a l- little bit different. So Dwight in the chat room sort of confused me there for a minute. He hit the enter key too early. He, oh. s- he, said, he said true man, but he actually meant to say true. Many will say modesty or forsaken assembly is not too, so bad, but adultery is bad, and they need to be withdrawn from. So, All right. That's true, man. <laughs> All right. Um, good uh, discussion tonight. Any final comments, Monty, from you? Well, you know, this church that we've been reading about has taken a lot of grief for it. And you might just look at that as persecution for being a Christian. Uh, whatever we do as Christians, as long as we're following the Bible pattern and doing what God says, there's going to be times when people are going to give us a hard time for it. And we know that all Christians, if they're living faithful, are going to be persecuted. And that might be just one of the ways we can understand we're being persecuted. People don't like it. They're going to uh, verbally abuse us or speak poorly about us for it. But that's okay because I don't require their approval. I require God's approval. And as long as God's, as long as I'm doing what God said the way He said do it, then I'm going to have His approval, and that's really all that matters. That's a good point. What, 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 what are we more concerned about? Am I more concerned about being in good relationship with God, or good, being good relationship with people who don't care anything about God? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I, that's an easy question for me to answer. Uh, so, yeah, good, good observation, Josh. Final thoughts from you? Yeah, I mean, I would just say uh, withdrawing is just acknowledging. A person's condition, you know, they they've fallen out of fellowship with God, and so when we withdraw from them, we're just we're not determining anything. We're just acknowledging that they're already not in a good standing with God at this point. Yep. All right. And Kyle, anything from you? Uh, it's a it's a hard these are hard sayings, but they're things that uh, we must follow if we're going to be Christians. And hopefully, this church, if there's other things going on with their church, they need to hopefully to hold fast uh, to the doctrine and hope hold fast to what the Bible says, and maybe they even. If there's other issues in the church need to have those stay strong and, you know, do what the Bible tells. So Okay, good. Keep it up. Good. Uh, and my dad has one more comment in the chat room. The argument is you can't withdraw fellowship if they have already severed the fellowship, but the argument is based on this false terminology. We can't withdraw ourselves. We can withdraw ourselves regardless if the fellowship has been broken. All right, so good. You've got to get that terminology right. You've got to understand this, how the scriptures mm-hmm. present this, not, uh, not allowing some terms that we may have crafted to... Frame the discussion. All right. 
Monty, thanks for being here. Thank you, Jacob. Enjoyed it. Josh, thank you. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. And Kyle, same to you. Good to be here. And thank you for being on the other end of the line tonight. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.